Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a nice time on this fine, whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. We have kind of a bummer of an issue that we're discussing today, so I just want to let you guys know that up front. It's a good issue, I think it's well done, but it deals with teenage runaways and drug abuse and prostitution and people getting killed in a way that, I mean, makes it hard to have it be a lighthearted romp, which is kind of what we try to present with this program. So if there are some tonal things that you guys aren't crazy about, I get it. We did our best. Um, With that being said, I believe last episode I promised that I would do my Andy Rooney things that are bothering me, which I know you guys have been champing at the bit for. So I will uh, get to that in a second. And then I'm just going to follow that up with, I had an idea for a cool line in an action movie, but I'm probably not going to write an action movie anytime soon. So I'll share that with you as well. And then we'll get on to the program. So let me put on my curmudgeon hat. I should get one of those. It'll say curmudgeon, like old fedoras would say press on the side. And I'll be like, oh, people are terrible. What a scoop. I get really frustrated when people will end a request by saying please and thank you and think that they're being polite when they are not. They are being the opposite of polite. There's a reason why those words have to go in a certain order. You say please because you are asking someone to do something for you. And you say thank you when they have agreed to do that. By saying thank you before they have a chance to respond one way or the other changes your request into a demand and says, I am presupposing that you have already agreed to do this for me. And that's really frustrating. And it makes me angry every time it happens, more than it should, because I know people are not trying to be rude when they say it. In fact, they are trying to do the opposite, which is kind of the source of the frustration. Okay, was that funny? No, but it was what was bothering me. Now, the cool line I had for an action movie that I am probably never going to write. So, if you are writing an action movie, you can use this line. And maybe, uh, you know, throw me a little something. Some kind of props or something. Ooh, like some actual movie props. That would be cool. Okay, so, the tough action hero-y type dude is interrogating the old Weasley guy. And a tough action dude says something. And the Weasley little guy, oh, you know that guy, he's so Weasley. Oh, I hate him. But he, he looks up and he's like, yeah, no shit. And then the tough action guy, like, depending on what the setting is, like, grabs him by the back of the head and slams his face into the bar or something and says, none taken. Huh? Like, it's not really a joke, but that that's a cool thing an action person could say in an action movie. Anyway, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted once again by Devin Tuhey. Thanks, Devin. Donna's grief counseling seems like it needs some advice, but if you've read Sigmund Freud, you might have to think twice. In Morning in Melancholia, he lays out the prospect that one must move on from their lost love object. So if we listen to the father of psychoanalysis, we might move on with life and to this synopsis. Synopsis. Thank you, Devin. 
That one really put me through my paces, meter-wise. Well done. New Teen Titans, number 27, January 1983. Runaways, part two. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrienne, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call. Raven, Wonder Girl, Robin, Starfire, Cyborg, and Speedy. Previously in the New Teen Titans. The Titans returned from their adventures in space. Robin and Starfire started dating. Raven had trouble controlling her powers. And we met a metric shit ton of new characters. Adrian Chase is a tough-as-nails district attorney who hates crime but also hates laws. Interesting dichotomy there. He wanted the Titans to do some off-the-books vigilante shit for him. Seeing as how that's kinda what the Titans were already doing, they said sure. Plus, Adrian reminded Robin of his shitty dad Batman, which was a bonus. We also met a trio of runaway teens. Runaway number one is Lizzie, blonde, freckled kid from Illinois who just found out she was pregnant. Her dad was an asshole and kicked her out of her house, so she took a bus to New York and got mixed up with a pimp named Howard who made her turn tricks. Gross. Then Howard went to jail and Lizzie didn't have any money, so she was starving to death. She ran into Raven and Cyborg who gave her a sandwich and took her to a center for runaway teens that Cyborg knew about from when he was a teen runaway. Runaway number two is Mike, a red-headed kid from Minnesota. His interests include getting poor grades and not having his mom beat the shit out of him. Unfortunately for Mike, these interests proved to be incompatible. So after receiving a particularly poor report card, Mike told his brother he was running away to New York. The Big Apple didn't agree with the young Minnesotan. He started working for a drug dealer named Scarapelli, got hooked on drugs, tried to mug terrible district attorney Adrian Chase, and got hit by a car and died. Bummer. Runaway number three is a swarthy young teen from the Bronx named Luis. His hobbies include crime and being a jerk, but his parents have a pretty strict no-crime policy, so Luis hit the bricks. He hooked up with some kind of underground catering company and got a gig schlepping champagne for up-and-coming gangster Anthony Scarapelli. One day while pouring drinks on the drug lord's yacht, the ambitious teen cater waiter noticed some red-headed kid spying on the boat. After informing his employer, Scarapelli, not the catering company, of the potential espionage, Luis got promoted to general henchperson. Lots of opportunities for both crime and being a jerk in that position. Good for him, but not so good for the boat-watching redhead as Scarapelli ordered his goons to chase the kid down and shoot him a bunch of times, which they did. Tough issue to be a red-haired teen in. The bullet-riddled kid dragged himself up to Cyborg's apartment and commenced to bleeding to death on Victor's couch. God, Zooks! Is this bummer of a setup a prelude to a heartwarming conclusion? What are the odds that the two unfortunate red-haired teens are related in some way? And will we meet another character as ill-suited for his job as law-hating district attorney Adrian Chase? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Oh, good lord, no. Not even a little bit. Um, I don't have my calculator on me, but I'd have to say 100%. And I'm gonna say no, but Cyborg's landlord kinda makes a case for himself. Since the last issue, Luis appears to have risen through the ranks of Scarapelli's organization. He's gone from the white tuxedo of an underworld cater waiter to the tight polo shirt, gold chains, and mirrored sunglasses of an aspirational henchperson. He starts off the issue by recruiting a couple more runaways for his boss's company. Runaway 4 is Angeline Caro. She's from St. Louis and she likes McDonald's. Runaway number 5 is Sylvester Johnson. He's from Florida and he likes to play video games. Runaway number six is Stephen Brown from San Diego. He declines Luis's offer of employment. Good for you, runaway number six. 
While Luis is doing his recruitment drive, the Titans swing by Vic's apartment and find that red-haired stranger bleeding out all over his upholstery. The gang spends a few minutes razzing Raven for having a bad attitude before finally getting out of her way and letting her use her powers to heal the bullet-riddled houseguest. The Azerathian empath is successful in her magical ministrations, but not without a cost. The mysterious druid teen collapses in pain, and her shitty dad, the extra-dimensional demonic despot Trigon, nearly takes over her body again. But then she tries real hard and suppresses her emotions like a good New Englander. I'm sorry, Azerathian and regains control of herself. For now. The other Titans are concerned, but Raven is just like, I'm fine. Just fine. Everything's great and I'm super duper happy, okay? Amazingly, the Titans are somewhat less than fully convinced. Thanks to Raven's efforts, Victor's uninvited houseguest is no longer leaking his insides all over the couch. Hooray! The recently perforated adolescent introduces himself to the gang. Turns out his name is Paul. Hi, Paul. Paul's brother was Mike, the runaway Minnesotan who went and got himself dead. Apparently, Mike was a prolific pen pal and told Paul all about his boss Scarapelli and his new, shall we say, less than glamorous New York lifestyle. When Paul heard of his brother's untimely passing, he swore vengeance and headed to the Big Apple. Which, as we saw earlier, didn't go so great. So, after getting Swiss-cheesed by Tony Scarapelli's thugs, Paul politely asked Vic's landlord to let him in. Apparently, Vic's landlord was like, Sure thing, profusely bleeding teen who just crawled away from some gunshots. Since you say you're my tenant's pal, I guess he'll let you into his apartment instead of calling the cops or an ambulance. Have fun! Which brings us up to the present. How did Paul know where Cyborg's apartment was? Um, he was... Uh... I don't know. Maybe Vic is in the yellow pages. The Titans are pretty bad at protecting their privacy. After Paul expositions at them, the Titans and their new buddy head down to the Teen Runaway Center because, well, just because, I guess. But it's a good thing they showed up there, because once they arrive, they run into their old pal, terrible district attorney Adrian Chase, and their even older pal, Roy Harper, a.k.a. Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. Hooray! I mean, I know I talk a lot of deserved shit about Roy, but it's been a while and it's nice to see the guy. Roy explains that he got brought in to work with Chase on this big upcoming drug bust as a civilian expert who is a liaison between government agencies and the local authorities. Because that is totally a thing that is a real thing and not just a string of words. Chase explains that the big bust is about to go down, only they're missing one tiny detail. The location of the drugs. Oh, is that all? Fortunately, Paul pipes up that he knows that info. Unfortunately, he won't tell unless he gets to go along on the bus. Chase says, No way, kid. We can't have a bunch of civilian teenagers getting involved in a government drug bust. Unless they're Roy Harper. Or Robin. Or Wonder Girl. Or Raven. Or Starfire. Or Cyborg. Yeah, Paul. There is a strict... Six civilian teenager limit on every federal drug bust. That's probably why Beast Boy and Wally aren't in this issue. Meanwhile, former crime caterer Luis is out recruiting more runaways. Runaway 7 is T.C. Bean. T.C. is from Texas and likes stabbing people with a switchblade and stealing their money. Runaway number 8 is Jean Marie Robbins. Jean Marie is from Maryland and likes not getting hit by her pimp, but hasn't been 
doing much of that lately. Yeah. Runaway 9 is Arnie Patowski. Arnie is from Pittsburgh and likes self-narrating and eating food. Back at the shelter for runaway teens, while the rest of the team tries to convince Paul to give up the goods, Raven heads off to talk to Lizzie, the girl she and Vic dropped off there the other day. Lizzie is sad and scared and homesick. Raven gives her a little pep talk and tells her that she's great, and if she wants to go home, she probably should. Lizzie feels better, and Raven feels better. That's nice. Only, no, it isn't. Lizzie heads down to the bus stop to go home and thinks to herself how much she hated prostitution. Then she runs into her old pimp, who is now named Rondo instead of Howard the way he was last issue. Maybe it's Howard Rondo? She tells Howard Rondo that she wants to go home and doesn't want to be a prostitute anymore. He tells her, well, how about you be a drug runner instead for a while, then you can go home. And Lizzie doesn't have the strength to argue with him and agrees. Shitty. Howard Rondo is now my least favorite Rondo, narrowly pushing the New Orleans Pelicans homophobic point guard Rajon Rondo out of the top spot and bumping homicidal Chicago rapper Rondo number 9 down to third. Man, Rondos suck. Back at the shelter, Paul still won't blab. Looks like shitty DA Adrian Chase is about to rough him up a little when Raven steps in and grabs his face and sucks the info out of his brain, which is, I guess, a thing she can do. Okay. Man, if only the Titans had a member who had some kind of a device that could compel people to tell them things. Like some kind of a rope or something. Like a lasso of veracity type device. Something like that. Would have been real handy just now. If only. Once the Titans and the worst DA ever have the information they needed, they schedule the drug bust for 11 o'clock that night. Robin makes a big show of saying in front of Chase that they don't usually like to hang out with civilian teenagers who definitely aren't crime-fighting former members of their team, but just this once, he guesses it would be okay if Roy Harper came back with them to the Titan Tower. Wink, wink. Smooth, Robin. Real smooth. That's the kind of subtlety one would expect from a kid who wears a green Speedo and a yellow cape on his stakeouts. Back at the tower, Roy changes into his old speedy duds. Hooray! Then he creepily hits on Raven. Oh yeah, that's right. Speedy fucking sucks. Down at the docks, Scarapelli's men and his newly assembled crew of teenage runaway drug runners have gathered. Luis is hanging out with some of the more established, older henchmen when one of them takes offense to something he says. The older henches are like, Fuck this kid, let's beat the living shit out of him with brass knuckles for pretty much no reason. Luis is like, No, please don't do that. Hey, Mr. Scarapelli, could you tell them to please not do that, please? But Scarapelli's like, Nah, you guys go ahead and do that. Fuck that kid. I never really liked him. Shitty. The bad guys start unloading the drugs and are about to start distributing them to the runaways when the Teen Titans and Speedy show up and start shooting them with arrows and blasting and punching and kicking them. Hooray! Wonder Girl and Starfire head out to the supply boat full of drugs, and Donna starts beating the stuffing out of the sinister stevedores. Yes, sir, I guess you could say it's a real poop deck Donnybrook. So I will say that. It's a real poop deck Donnybrook. Then Coriander uses her magic space fire to cut the boat in half lengthwise, which is a pretty rad thing to do. Runaway number seven, the stabby one, 
sees a big pile of unattended cocaine and thinks that he might like to have that. Unfortunately, one of Scarapelli's senior goons sees him trying to take the drug pile and shoots him and he dies. By Runaway 7, a bloodied and badly beaten Louis sees the goon kill Runaway number 7, and he snaps and slits the goon's throat. By goon. Luis thinks to himself that he could probably get away if he wanted to, but he's tired of the life he has chosen for himself, and instead he sits down to bleed and wait to be arrested. Dang. Let that be a lesson to you kids out there. Catering may seem like a glamorous and exciting job, but this is where it inevitably leads. Runaway number five, the video game one, catches a stray bullet from one of the gangsters. Raven tries to save him, but it's too late. He's dead. By runaway number five, we learn that he was only 13 years old. Dang. The cops show up and arrest all the bad guys. Adrian Chase is annoyed that the cops didn't just shoot everyone. Then Cyborg punches a dude across the wharf, and Chase is like, That's a pretty good punch, but it's too bad you didn't punch him to death. That would have been better. What a shitty district attorney. Raven finds Paul hiding nearby. He snuck away from the shelter and was going to try to join in on the fight. But then he got scared and didn't. Raven tells him not to feel bad, so I guess he doesn't? Then we get an epilogue. Paul goes home to his parents, and they hug him and tell him how worried about him they were. He's glad to be back home. Lizzie gets home, and her piece-of-shit dad slams the door in her face and says he never wants to see her again. Fuck. Finally, we see another kid, this one in Virginia, fighting with his mom. He doesn't like having to follow rules, so he grabs a duffel bag and hits the road, becoming runaway number 10. Dang. Who'd have thought that writing a synopsis where I got to say Poop Deck Donnybrook twice would bum me out so much? That's three times now. Still bummed. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It was going fine until I read this comic book. Yeah. It's a bummer, man. <laughs> it is. It's a good comic book. It is I, well executed. It really is. But yeah, man, it's a fucking bummer. Do you feel it is setting up an arc at which point there will be some sort of a redemption? Because that was sort of what I was thinking. And then I got to the end and I thought, no, it's just going to be a bummer. I think it's just a bummer. I don't know what who the redemption would be for. All of the runaways. All of them? Yeah, because at the end... Not all of them, man. One out of three had a good thing happen. Really? Mm, one kid went home and his parents were like, Oh God, we're so glad you're here. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, one out of the rest of them. Right, because certainly wasn't a happy ending for Sylvester or TC. TC Bean. Man. Do you think that TC Ma stood Maine's for... punkiest <laughs> punker. He was from Maine? Wasn't he? Are you, I thought, I think maybe you're just saying that. Oh, because L.L. Bean. Because L.L. Bean. He was from Texas, Corey. Oh. <laughs> I was imagining him with a main accent the whole time. Just because he was a punk rocker and he had Bean as a last name? Yeah. I choose to believe that TC stood for Top Cat. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody he was just a huge Top Cat fan. Oh. Now, to be fair, he was a real piece of shit and he was stabbing hobos for five bucks before he got recruited. You should never stab somebody for five dollars. No. In general... I'm kind of anti-stabbing people. Not even for 10 bucks? Well, I mean, if it's fucking 10 bucks, I'm not a saint. 
To be clear, he wasn't stabbing them because somebody paid him $5. He was robbing them. Yes, and only got $5 and was like, geez, it's barely worth stabbing that guy. And then he tries to steal all the cocaine. So not a great guy. Not a sympathetic character. No, but still a little bit jarring when you find out that he's 15. Mm -hmm. When a character dies, they tell you how old they were. And we find out that he was 15 and Sylvester who was only 13 and a much more sympathetic character, gets shot also and dies. Hey, do you think that Nancy Reagan gave some money to the comics industry and was like, can you guys make all your storylines total bummers about drugs? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I think that was just kind of the general zeitgeist. I mean, they did also publish the Teen Titans comics that were in conjunction with Nancy Reagan's anti-drug council. We covered one of them for the bonus content. I uh, remember Patreon mostly, members. but <laughs> also what I'm getting at is maybe it's one of these more like behind the scenes deals oh. where like, yeah, sure. That stuff that you read in the doctor's office was paid for by the government. And we proudly associate with that. Here's the like the gritty stuff that's really supposed to grab America's youth. Yeah, maybe scare them straight. Maybe. So we start off with this like Ditko-esque like nine panel grid of the tales of three different runaways being recruited by Luis, who was the caterer that we met in the last issue. Yeah, he really came up in the criminal world. Yeah, with a quickness. And gets put back down just as quickly. Mm -hmm. But we see him recruiting three kids. Sylvester was one of them. One of them was Angeline Caro, who we don't really see anything else from. She's just hanging out outside of McDonald's and thinking like, Mmm, McDonald's. And then Luis comes out dressed all nice and flashes some cash and says, Hey, you want to come work for me? And what all of these kids are going to be doing is delivering envelopes of drugs. Then we meet Sylvester, who has just spent a bunch of money playing Sword Quest in an arcade and ran out of quarters. And then Luis rolls up on him and is like, Hey, you can play this game all the time. You can even probably get your own machine if you come and deliver drugs for me. And the kid's like, All right, sounds good. Mm-hmm. That strikes you as weird? A little bit. You don't remember being a kid and, like, almost beating a level and running out of quarters? Yeah. You Man. pretty much would do anything to, I guess that's fair. That's that. probably a pretty smart recruiting technique, I guess. Mm -hmm. Dragon then, Slayer? Ah, oh, boy. Oh, that game is so frustrating. I remember there being a number of games that were, like, the one that, I, that specifically stands out in my mind was the, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stand-up arcade game, mm. where... They were the kind of game that you couldn't really be good at, as near as I could tell. It was just like, if you put a quarter in, then it will buy your character this much amount of time. And if you spend $5 in quarters, you can probably beat the game. I never played that one. I don't remember this one. It wasn't a good game. Mm. But that was one of mine where I was like, oh, I want to beat up Bebop and Rocksteady. Those I guys like, are jerks. Gauntlet was great, though, because that you, you could feel like you were really making progress. But it was designed in such a way that you would just spend all of your money. Yes. And you'd be sad. Yeah. Also, Elf needs food. Yeah. Badly. That's, yeah, that's part of it. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> Don't die of starvation, little elf. Yeah. Anyway. So that's one page of Luis's recruitment. Uh, a little while later, we get another page of Luis's recruitment where he meets TC, who is from El Paso, Texas, not from Maine, despite his last name being Bean, even though Bean is spelled differently. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> to me, he's from Maine. Do you want to read his, his dialogue with a main accent? Because sure. I would like to hear it. I'll, do, I'll try, okay. but then, and then you, can, okay. you can correct it. Five lousy bucks. That's all you have? Shoot, there's not a lot of... Oh, no, Corey. You can't put too much of a main spin on that. 
Five lousy bucks. Oh, he's not... That's like all you have. ...an old Mainer. Shoot. He's like a young Mainer. Waste of stinking time, man. Waste of time. I oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Watch out who you sneak up on, boy. <laughs> no, he's not like from the woods, man. He's like... Oh, yeah? A... We'll see about that. It's like from the, the young... He's like a, from Portland, Maine. Okay, okay. Then let me... Um... Five lousy bucks. That's all you got? Shoot. Waste of time, man. Nah, you're right. It's harder. Yeah, you can't go old main on him. You gotta go I, new main. Ah, man. New, hip, young main. Mm hmm Fresh main. Yeah. All right. Funky main. <laughs> oh, funky main. That was one of my favorite lesser-known <laughs> Toots in the Maytals albums. <laughs> but so after we meet Top Cat Bean, then we meet Jean Marie Robbins, who has apparently been prostituting herself, Luis, and... He now has Sylvester as his flunky roll up on her and they're like, hey, why don't you come sell drugs instead of doing prostitution? It's safer and you won't get beat up and you'll get better money. And she's like, yeah, okay. Seems fair. Sure. Then we meet my favorite of the recruits, Arnie Potowski from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, Arnie. Arnie's a chubby little kid and he steps off the bus and says to himself out loud, wow, I made it. Now where do I go? And Sylvester rolls up on him. He doesn't even need Luis to help him recruit this kid. He's like, how about someplace real big, kid? Soft beds with no bugs. Artie cannot believe the good news he has just heard. Huh? <laughs> Who are you? Friends call me Sly. Come on with me. And Artie's response is, great. Only can I eat first? I'm hungry. Real hungry. And we see a close-up of his face just grinning his ass off. And Arnie is a chubby kid, but that panel makes it look like he's got some kind of a creepy, like, hunger-related secret. Like he's a Galactus or a Dracula or something. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's really creepy, but we don't get any payoff from that. As far as we know, Arnie is not, in fact, a chubby little vampire kid. Nope. Um, he's bad at planning. That's all. He's very bad at planning. And then we get the reunion scene where we see all of the recruited runaways at the end working for Mr. Scarapelli. And Mr. Scarapelli turns on Louise for no apparent reason, as near as I can tell. Like, Louise isn't really sassing the other guys. Scarapelli's underlings are all hanging out. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, like, this should be an easy gig. And one of them says, like, yeah, but don't go thinking it'll be too easy. We don't want it to make any mistakes like we did in Oslo. And Louise is just there and he's trying to fit in. And he's like, yeah. Let's, let's all be careful. We don't want any screw-ups. And one of the guys is like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to, kid? Mm -hmm. And he's like, what? 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 I, we don't want... And the other guy's like, yeah, who the fuck do you think you're talking about? We're going to fucking kick your ass. And he's like, Mr. Scarapelli, what the fuck are these guys doing? Please protect me. I've been working for you. And Scarapelli's just like, fuck you. Beat him up. Mm -hmm. They're Granted, bad guys. Yeah, I know. Luis was a bad guy, too, though. Like, he was a real jerk. He, we do see that he's a young jerk, and he's a young runaway who was working as a cater waiter last oh, issue and rose swiftly through the ranks. But the the follow-up and what really kind of, it's effective, but it's also pretty chilling, is they basically take Louise off to just work him over, and, like, basically you see them putting on brass knuckles, and they're going to nearly kill the kid. Sylvester's standing there, and Scarapelli's like, come on, get moving, join the others. And Sylvester goes, you're going to hurt him? And the response is just, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really matter of fact, and it's pretty chilling. 
Yeah, bad shit. Bad shit. And then, like you said, we get, at the very end of the issue, three different runaways scenes. Mm-hmm. One is the kid Paul returning back to his parents, and they're like, oh man, we're so happy. We're sorry your brother died, but mm-hmm. it's all cool now. And then we see Lizzie trying to go back to her dad, because Raven told her that would be a good idea. Uh, and her dad's still a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, you have no home. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking heart-wrenching. He's a jerk? He's a real jerk. You got yourself pregnant, you're on your own. I don't want to see you again. And she's saying, oh daddy, oh god, please, please. Yep, and that's that. Slams the door in her face. Yep. And then we see just another kid running away for relatively little motivation. Other than, I guess, Langley, Virginia kind of sucks in his mind. Oh, also, his mom won't let him yell at her. Yeah. So he's like... But she's she's bad at it, too. Like, apparently he's out the door, he's running away, and, she, and she's like, how dare you speak to me that way? And he's like, I'll say whatever I want. And she says, well, you're under my roof, you'll do what I say. And then he's like, then I'm going. It's like, no, he had his bag. That is the absolute, well, you're under my roof, you'll do what I say, is not a way to stop someone from running away. She thought he was bluffing. But he wasn't. So now he's going to be a runaway, too. He'll probably go and work for Sylvester, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or Scarapelli? Scarapelli's going down, man. Didn't Sylvester get shot? Oh, yeah, he's not going to work for Sylvester. Nope. You're right. Whoops. <laughs> See, Maybe nothing don't. good happens in this comic. It's a bummer. I mean, even the one supposed, like, oh, thank goodness he went home. We had seen in the previous issue that Paul's parents were abusive. Like... When Mike got a bad report card, his mom would beat him. Mm-hmm. And that was why he run, ran away. And he told Paul that he was running away as he was running away. And, I mean, Paul at least tacitly agreed with him. There was no return dialogue to it. He didn't tell the parents immediately. So at least you got to suspect that Paul was like, yeah, I guess you're probably doing the right thing for yourself. But then when he, as soon as he is returned to his abusive parents, that's supposed to be a happy ending. It's kind there's of rough no there. happy ending. Yeah, there's no happy ending at all. Lizzie has the roughest go of it for many of the runaways. I mean, I guess maybe except for TC and Sylvester who are dead. Because mm-hmm. she's not dead, but god damn. Bad shit. Bad shit. We meet her pimp, who is named Rondo, mm-hmm. who the last issue was named Howard. Maybe um, Rondo's his last name. Howard Rondo? Mm-hmm. And everybody calls him Rondo, but she calls him Howard behind his back because fuck Howard. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. He's a fucking creep. Looks like a middle-aged dude. He's got like the Clyde Drexler balding thing. Mm-hmm. Bit of a skullet. Yeah. But is also very, very stereotypically pimped up. Mm-hmm. In a way calculated to horrify white middle America. Mm-hmm. Like this is what happens if your daughter gets to the city. An older black man will be her pimp and he will be a flashy pimp. Mm-hmm. And they'll hug. Also, this is directly after Raven's apparently shitty pep talk, where she's yeah. like, oh, you're so strong and, and awesome, kid, you go get him. And she's like, okay. And the kid leaves, and then Caesar Pimp's like, oh, I gotta sell drugs now. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the next page, mm-hmm. literally. But yeah, let's take a look at Lizzie's dialogue. Or not dialogue, it's her caption. Here's what she is thinking as she is waiting for the bus to go home, which also turns out to be a bad idea, even if she doesn't get waylaid by her former pimp. As she walks, Lizzie shudders. For three horrible weeks, she had stood on corners like this one, calling to horrible men she normally would never even look at. She'd smile. They'd show her cash. 
Then she would get so cold and wet and scared she'd run. God, she wants to go home. So she she never actually did the prostitution? She just... I don't know. Would solicit and then run away? Maybe. Huh. That is confusingly written. It, but then clearly she says to Rondo, I, I just want to go home, Rondo. I can't do it with those guys anymore. I wonder if that was put in, like, to placate potential censors so they could say, like, no, she never actually did any prostitution. Mm-hmm. She's still supposed to be a sympathetic character. If she had, mm-hmm. that would be totally different. But it was it was a really confusing, just that one caption box where it's just like, wait, what? How did this... She'd smile, they'd show her cash, then she would get so cold and wet and scared she'd run. Yeah, you're right. They probably put that in as a thing for the censors. Yeah, it's, it didn't make a ton of sense. But also, man, just gross. Mm-hmm. Really, really disturbing stuff. Let's focus on some lighter shit that happens in this. What do you think of District Attorney Adrian Chase? I think we talked about this last time. He's a big jerk, but... But? Man, we'll get into this probably when we talk about clothes. That guy can wear a vest. That guy knows how to wear a vest, and he still is sticking with the green suit. Mm -hmm. He's fucking terrible at everything. Oh, like he does a bad job? Or he's like morally objectionable, or both? Both. Okay. All of it. He doesn't understand what sarcasm is, or how it works. Or Marv Wolfman doesn't understand what sarcasm (laughs) is and how it works. (laughs) When he first shows up, he's introducing Roy Harper who you may remember as Speedy to the Titans. The worst who, of all teen Titans. <laughs> indeed. Who have, they've, they've already met, it turns out. But Wonder Girl has just said something. And it doesn't matter what it was because District Attorney Adrian Chase is very dismissive of her. Sure, sure, beautiful. He just pops into the door, chain smoking, and says that. And then says, I see, Harper, that you've met our teenage vigilantes here. Bet you're real choked up about working with them. What is he supposed to be implying there? It sounds like if he's being sarcastic there, then he would know that Roy Harper was very excited to work with the Teen Titans. But I don't think that's what he's trying to imply, especially because Harper's response is, actually, Mr. Chase, the Titans and I are old friends. We get along just fine, thank you. And if you're done being sarcastic, we have work to do. Mm. What the fuck just happened? Yeah, let's um, let's try and sort that out. So bet you're real choked up about working with them, like real sarcastically. So so Roy Harper doesn't understand sarcasm. Maybe, maybe as Speedy, he's just been like, I can't wait to work with the Titans. I can't wait to work with the Titans, and he's just like bouncing around. Mm-hmm. And that's why the district attorney said that. Mm-hmm. It's really confusing. It is. Yeah, I, I read it and I said. That doesn't really make sense and just moved on. Yeah. The next thing we see District Attorney Adrian Chase doing. Where is it? It's on page 12. It's not the next thing we see him doing. Uh, Next, he tries to intimidate Paul and I think tries to imply that he's going to beat the information out of this largely cooperative teenager whose brother was just murdered. Mm -hmm. So that's not great. Yeah, good thing Raven was there. Yeah. Although we'll get to that later. (laughs) I was, I was, that was sarcasm. Oh! So, you think it's a good thing that Raven was there? (laughs) Well, good in the sense that I guess it did actually prevent him from possibly getting beaten up by the DA, but bad in the sense that she did the I'm gonna take shit out of your brain against your will stuff. So, you think it's good when she takes things out of their brain? No, Hub, it's bad, man. (sighs) Sarcasm? Mm. So, you do think it's good? 
It's both good and bad. It's new. Oh, man. Sarcasm. Yeah. So difficult. I can see why Adrian Chase and or Speedy have so much trouble with it. Yeah. We see on page 12 that Adrian Chase is on the phone with somebody. And he says, you heard me. I want in on this. Yeah, I know how. You've told me a million times. DAs get involved after the crime is committed. Maybe that's why our judicial system has gone to hell. <laughs> So you want to prosecute people before there's been a crime. Oh, man. Is he advocating for precognitive yeah, units? Yeah, crime. Or is he just saying fascism? If we suspect somebody is a, of doing a crime, then we should arrest them. That's more likely. It's much more likely, especially in light of what happens on page 21, which is he is hanging out with the cops. They see a suspect and he yells at a police officer, shoot, shoot him. And the police officer says, we can't, sir. We have rules. <laughs> He's the worst DA ever. Like, the cop is so used to hearing this shit from him about everybody. He is such a terrible district attorney. Uh, no, Mr. Chase. We have rules. <laughs> and then Cyborg punches a dude so hard that he goes flying out into the ocean. And then the DA asks Cyborg if he's dead. And Cyborg says, no. And this DA says, shame, Cyborg. He deserved to die. Guy is bloodthirsty. He really is. Yeah. What a shitty district attorney. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't understand the law. At all. Not even a little bit. Why can't I just go and arrest people before they've done crimes? Then they can't do the crimes. Such simple logic. Ah, you people just don't get it. Mm. What's not to Which get? means I think you do get it. <laughs> Wait, is that irony or sarcasm? Probably. Yeah. I'm District Attorney Adrian Chase. Stop all crime. Before there's crime. Mm. Ah! Hard boiled. Fucking idiots. You know what I did like seeing? What? Cyborg's apartment. Oh, yeah, he had some nice knickknacks. He had some nice little personal touches in there. I mean, also, there was a boy bleeding to death on his couch, so. You didn't maybe focus as much on the bric-a-brac as you otherwise would. But you see he's got like a nice little mug with a heart on it. Mm -hmm. And he's got a little dish of M&M's out for company. Could be. Which is nice. Probably not disco biscuits. Probably not. No, my my suspicion of what it is, it is a uh, mixed dish filled with chocolate chips and butterscotch chips. Or as I like to call it, trail mix. (laughs) (laughs) But he's also got, like, a baseball bobblehead because he used to be a jock. Like, there's all these little touches of his personality around the apartment, and it's pretty cool. You know what else his apartment has? What? The shittiest landlord in the world. We see from, A, the fact that the place is kind of falling apart, and, two, that when Paul get, Paul wakes up after Raven cures him, they ask him, how did you get in here? And his response is, I told the landlord I was a friend of yours, and he let me in. I know. We saw him. He was shot up and bleeding to death. Obviously. Like, doing that thing where you, like, kind of, like, stumble because you can't really walk all the way. Mm-hmm. Drags himself up to the stoop of Cyborg's building. And the landlord's like, yeah, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. I'm a friend of Cyborg's. Oh, okay. Let me let you in. Yeah. Don't bleed on the couch. <laughs> Which he totally did. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's a furnished apartment. So it's Cyborg's couch. I don't think the landlord cares if he bleeds on it. Probably not. That is a scummy apartment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
So, speaking of Raven's healing powers, uh-huh. I feel like this is another one of those instances where Wolfman is just like, well, we can actually do whatever we want with any of the Teen Titans' powers, and in this case, this kid's about dead, and so Raven will empathize him back to life. Did I miss She's done healing something? stuff before. She's a healer. Remember when she was on Trigon's world, like Trigon almost killed that little girl and then she healed her up and brought her back from the brink of death and then Trigon double killed her? Oh, yeah. She can heal people. She's real good at it. Sometimes they're too far gone and she can't quite Yeah, because later them. in the issue, she can't. I think the, that kid's like dead. Oh, so you're almost dead. You're almost good. dead. You can come back to life. All the way dead. Only thing you can do is go through their pockets and look for change. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. But as soon as she does bring that kid back to life, Wonder Girl, very true to form, starts telling the kid to calm down. She's <laughs> like, he's upset that his brother has been murdered. And she says... History, this history is... Hanukkah will not... <laughs> yeah. I, I love that she did that. I mean, it's very much keeping in her character. The kid says, come on, the creeps who fed that crud to my brother are probably making their move. She's like, calm down, Paul. We'll find him without histronics. The kid has bullet holes in his shirt from being shot in the chest. And his brother just died. Yeah. And she's like, chill out. She gave him a few minutes. It's not like he sat up on the couch and she told him to relax. They've gone to the police station and everything. And she was absolutely right. He wasn't making anything better by being such a whiner. It's been two days since your brother died. God, get over it. You need to get out there. Start meeting some new brothers. <laughs> kind of good to see Speedy again. He did a great job in this issue. Yeah, he was still an asshole. Well, sure. That's... And he still tried to creepily hit on Raven immediately after meeting her. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Well, true to form. Yeah. The other thing that we see is that Robin has no goddamn chill. Even Roy is teasing him about how unsubtle he was. There's a fun moment where, as they are leaving the DA station, Roy says loudly in front of the district attorney, Excuse me, Robin. If you don't mind, I'd like to go with you. And Robin says... Well, normally, Roy, we don't work with, and this is in bold, civilians. But in your case, I guess we can make an exception. Come on, stranger. Mm-hmm. And when they get back to the Titan Tower, Roy's like, civilians, huh? You really know how to travel it on, dick. That is one example. The other one would be when Paul is describing the fact that his brother... Yes, was hit by a car, but the reason he was hit by a car was because he was hooked on hard drugs, which happened almost immediately after his arrival in New York. And Robin says, well, did he ever do drugs when he was back home? And Paul says, well, no, not really. Like, maybe he had a hit of a joint, but never any hard stuff. And Robin's response is, why would anybody ever do any drug? He does not <laughs> like any drugs at all. It's so true. Mm -hmm. So true. And Robin canonically has no chill. Talk about what I found to be a really cute panel of Starfire flying around the, the <laughs> apartment or the Teen Titan headquarters. I loved that. It only happened in the background of one panel, but it's as <laughs> it's just her feet. as Robin and Speedy are having a, that conversation where Robin has no chill and Roy is calling him out on it. You see in the background they're inside the Titan Tower and. You see Starfire's feet and hair, and she's just flying down the hallway, just zooming around the room, and it's really cute. I thought that was adorable. Very joyful. Yes. The other very minor thing that has virtually nothing to do with the issue that I would like to point out is that there is a Milk Duds ad in here, and apparently in 1983, 
Milk Duds had the graphic design used from the Repo Man movie. <laughs> hmm? Like, it is the most generic-looking packaging I have ever seen on anything in this Milk Duds ad. It really looks like the package. You don't seem like you're at all surprised or impressed by this. It's to me, it really looks like the Repo Man thing where they buy cans of food and beer. Mm-hmm. And drink. And snacks. Yeah. Like, Want to get a drink? <laughs> yep. But yeah, that's. I think that's who the Milk Duds people went to for their graphic design. Mm. It was It was like, oh man, Milk Duds are gross. Are those the, no, those are the chewy ones, not like the malt balls, right? Or is that I the... think they're pretty similar. Oh. I don't remember which is which. I feel like they're like chocolate-covered sweet corn nuts. Hmm. I don't think that's true at all. That's not true. <laughs> I think they taste like as much like a chocolate-covered candy can taste like medicine. What? And old people. What? Yep. <laughs> I don't think you... That's... Corey... I'm bringing some of these over. Corey, We're going to settle this. I do not know what a milk dud is, apparently. No, you don't. <laughs> and I don't know if I do either, but I'm pretty sure you're way off base. I think I am right. I think they taste like <laughs> a chocolate-covered corn nut that tastes like medicine and old people. Okay. Well, only one way to solve this. If you're a listener, mail us some milk duds. Maybe, email them to me. Maybe just one or two. Well, we need two. I'm not sharing a milk dud with you. We're not like Lady in the Tramping a milk dud. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, you can cut it in half. Oh, saying, okay. If it, if it tastes like old people and medicine... You don't want to. You don't want a stockpile of them. Of them. Yeah. I guess that's fair. All right, you ready to move on to the minutia? <laughs> sure. Hit it, Rick. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you so much, Rick. Corey, what would you like to hit up first? Hmm. There were so many good sound effects in this comic book. Man, there really were. Let, let's uh, let's talk about a couple of them. Okay. Sping, sping, sping. I liked that. I had a third part to it, which is in the following panel, which is sping, sping, spam. Oh, that's when she's batting one of them back? Mm-hmm. That is, of course, the sound of Donna Troy, Wonder Girl, deflecting bullets with her magical bracelets. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. I liked also part of the same fight was whom? For whom? <laughs> I like grammatically correct sound effects. Mm. Pedantically so. Uh, that is actually the noise that it makes when Starfire cuts an ocean liner that is full of drugs in half. It makes W-H-O-O-O-M. Mm. Are Boom. you sure? I thought the ocean liner getting cut in half was the spoom. No, Whoa. that is not spoom. Spoom is... Cyborg punching a thug across the ocean. Oh, you're right. Whom? Spoom. Whom? Whom? Whom cut this ocean liner in half? No, that would be who, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This ocean liner was cut in half by whom? (laughs) Very good. Thank you. Yeah, see, Spoom is Cyborg punching a thug across the ocean. After he crushes his gun, which makes spamf. That's true. Wow, that thug's lost a shoe, apparently. Yeah. On the that's a big punch. Well, cyborg punches him very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Very methodically. Mm-hmm. He gives a little speech. I am holding everything in, man, but I am very angry. And very quietly, very efficiently, I am going to take my anger out on 
you. Spoom! The angriest of sounds. Yes, indeed. What other sound effects? I think I'll cut to the chase and, and go to my favorite, which is the sound boom! With a star for the second toe? Yes, and it's the sound that Speedy's boxing glove arrow makes when it knocks somebody out. It's great. Yep. And I firmly believe that boom, where there is a star for the hole in the second O, is the noise that it would make when a boxing glove arrow knocks out a thug. Mm -hmm. It's rad. Yep. I also very much enjoyed Foom, which was on the preceding panel, which I suspect we might talk about later. Would you like to move on to favorite panels? Okay. (laughs) Yes. This is... Okay, this is not my favorite panel, but it is up there. Foom is the noise that it makes when Cyborg decidedly and deliberately punches a thug in the dick. And I know this has come up a lot for us, and it's always kind of been conjecture on our part, but there is no disputing. This is, I believe, the first canonically confirmed intentional dick punch in Teen Titans history. Yep. As Cyborg punches a thug in the dick. To the degree that the thug is lifted bodily off the ground above Cyborg's head. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that is such a big punch. Yes. It makes a noise, foom. And Cyborg says, this turkey will be singing soprano till he collects social security. (laughs) Damn. Ouch. So scary. Yep. Earned. Fuck those guys. That's the guy that beat up Luis. Mm -hmm. They're responsible for all of these bad things that are happening with the runaways. You know, also the kids' parents are. Yep. Other than that, favorite panels. Because that, like, I loved what's happening in the panel, but the panel itself, it is cool looking and it is up there. But the panel in which the Teen Titans, whose roster at this point, as they are emerging as a battle squadron, is Starfire, Wonder Girl, Speedy, Robin, and Cyborg. Mm -hmm. When they are running down an alley out of their... Teen Titan Jet, which I guess they just parked in an alley, which is pretty impressive. I know it has vertical takeoff and landing, but still, Mm -hmm. it's such a cool panel. I had that one too, page uh, 16. Yep. And I called it Heroes. I called it Here They Come. (laughs) (laughs) But that was rad. We talked about Cyborg's apartment. That is in the title page panel, and that is fucking extraordinary. It is Cyborg's apartment. There is the kid bleeding on the couch, and on the wall behind him, apparently written in blood, it says runaways. And then in blood splatters on the floor, it says part two. Mm-hmm. Very creepy. It is really creepy. But the the amount of detail, which we talked about a little bit in the panel, like down to like the bric-a-brac that's lying around Cyborg's house. The fact that it says New Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman and George Perez in a framed picture on his wall. Mm-hmm. It's this beautifully, beautifully laid out panel, and it's fucking great. And that, that's actually my favorite panel. Really interesting perspective, too, the way that it's drawn. It's like a shot in a movie where the camera is up in like the like a corner of the room looking down on everything. Yeah, yeah. Very that cool. was really good. Any other panels you want to talk about? Yeah, I had a, another one that played with perspective in a similar way, and it's on page 8, and it's about an inch wide and runs top to bottom the full length of the page. And Perez uses this to show uh, you know, a group of the, the Titans talking to the DA, and then Raven and um, the proprietor of the youth home walking away, down mm-hmm. the, kind of like down a hallway almost. Yeah, it's really well done. And it really highlights 
Raven's thematic separation from the rest of the group and her distancing herself from them mm -hmm. as it sets up the oncoming action. It's, yeah. yeah really well thought out. It's Very great. Good. Let's take this party to the bow zone. All right. Difficult to describe this issue as a party, but I, I just did. It's not a good party. It's not a good, not a fun party. But at this party, who is calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, in a way that you found worthy of commenting upon? Well, it's already come up in the discussion of the Foom panel, but I do have a soft spot in my heart anytime somebody calls somebody else a turkey. Pretty good. And the fact that he said this turkey will be singing soprano until he collects social security cracked mm -hmm. me up. Like turkeys do. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. I had that, and then I had one other that, that we also talked about a little bit as we were reading it, which I had never heard before, and I still don't know how I feel about it, but one of the criminals calls one of the other criminals slime breath. Uh, is that a criminal talking to a criminal? I think it was Cyborg oh, it's talking Cyborg. to a criminal. Oh, it's Cyborg. Yeah, Cyborg talking to a yeah, criminal. Yeah, uh, right. I like that too. That guy has been eating too much slime, and now he's got a bad case of slime breath. Sounds terrible. It really does. Raven is approaching some criminals, and the criminal says, What's that shadow coming at us? And Cyborg says, Nothing you're gonna like, slime breath. Pretty gross. Pretty gross. I also had, in the Here They Come panel, Cyborg, Forget the chatter, Archer. Trash him. I knew crud like these when I was growing up. Mm, crud. They're the lowest form of scum to ever walk the earth. Crud like these. Cruds? Crud. Yeah, like he's using crud as a singular, which is weird. Mm. That guy's a crud. Maybe it's a, one of those Latin words that's confusing that way. Could be, probably. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Timestamp or show and tell, which did you have or both? I had, in this case, a timestamp. Okay. And kind of a minor one, but we touched on it already, and it's the when um, Sly was recruited, he was recruited from an arcade, mm -hmm. and he was playing the game Sword Quest, which I think you talked about at yep. some length in the recent uh, podcast. Indeed. And uh, that was my timestamp. I think that is fair. I had the same one. In a similar note, this issue does feature a 16-page insert, which I know isn't in the trade paperback that you were reading, of the debut of Atari Force. I liked that comic a lot when I was a, a kid. It holds up really well. I really like Atari Force. It's great. Oh, cool. But yeah, that was kind of a fun tie-in. And I was actually really glad to have that as an insert in this comic, where this comic was so dark and gritty to have a... I mean, Atari Force gets pretty dark, too. But to have a more fun insert comic book as kind of a counterpoint was was nice to see i enjoyed that sure but i also had a show and tell and my show and tell i actually already did talk about but it is arnie getting off the bus from pittsburgh and saying aloud to himself <laughs> wow i made it now where do i go oh arnie oh poor arnie he's gonna be running that town in a week mm. he's hungry for power oh maybe that's the foreshadowing we uh -huh. saw the creepy uh -huh. creepy face talk about what people were wearing and what things they wore oh my what do you want to start on well we did talk about rondo quite a bit and sure. how you know stereotypically pimptastic he was yep i'm gonna get you suck a mm -hmm. goldfish in his shoes pimp yep i that said appreciated the fuzzy lining on the collar and sleeves of his jacket well it gets cold 
Mm -hmm. It looks very, very warm. Indeed. And very stylish. You had brought up worst district attorney in the world, Adrian Chase's Mm -hmm. vest-wearing abilities. Yeah, that is a crazy look, and I don't even know if such a thing exists, but apparently it is tiny checkers of orange and dark brown, which I guess is very 70s, so mm-hmm. that could work with his, his green suit. Yeah. And uh, it looks dope. I would wear that waistcoat. Mm. I'd call it a waistcoat, too. Would you? Yeah. Oh. It's fun. Is that the same thing as a vest, a waistcoat? Yeah. Oh. That's what British people call a vest. Well, that's pretty fancy. Yeah, they're the fanciest. Mm. It's not new in this issue, but I don't think we've talked about certain aspects of Raven's look. And I think we should. Okay. She's got a weird fucking look. Her like, gloves? Her gloves? She has gloves that are missing the index finger and thumb. Mm-hmm. Like reverse archer's gloves. Like part of the Azerathian thing is if you're going to be an empath, you must never shoot an arrow at someone. So we'll make gloves that do the opposite of what arching gloves do. Mm. Which does make me think that maybe her and Speedy would actually be a good pair. Because opposites attract? Well, yeah. If nothing else, like if they put their gloves together, they could have a whole glove. (laughs) There you go. That's fun. Okay. The other thing about, well, there's a lot. She's wearing high heels and robes that are both like druid robes that are very revealing. We may have touched on that in the past. What I don't think we have touched on, and I think we've both noticed is her bizarre, recursive eyebrows. Mm -hmm. She has eyebrows that connect to the corners of her eyes in a big loop and are very manicured. Mm -hmm. And it is a weird look that I don't think I have ever seen before. And I don't think she started off having them to that degree. I've only really noticed it in the past, like, three or four issues. Mm -hmm. But it's really something. Mm Mm-hmm. Anything else sartorially to touch upon? Uh, on page 13, Luis, once he's become all, all gangstery, has a pretty dope suit. It's like really 80s, like Miami Vice bad guys, like um, a fuchsia shirt with like a black jacket and, and tie. skinny black tie. Yeah. Yeah, no, that I, I did appreciate that. I appreciated all of Luis's looks as he is working his way up from the cater waiter biz. Mm-hmm. When we first see him meeting Sylvester, there is a look of awe on Sylvester's face as he reaches up and touches Luis's bracelet. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's very tentatively like, can I pet your gold bracelet? And at that point, Luis is just wearing a a tight pink polo shirt with some gold chains and sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Also, he started smoking. Pink sunglasses too, though. Matches shirt. Yeah, pink reflective sunglasses. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And we get to see Speedy, drawn by George Perez. George Perez has this thing where he makes outfits that when other people draw them, they look very silly, look kind of cool. Speedy's outfit looks kind of cool, even though it is just as goofy as it has always been. And if you actually saw it, you would just be like, that's really goofy and very dated. One thing I had not specifically noticed about Speedy's outfit is that he has a little gold arrow lapel pin as part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty cool look. Mm-hmm. He likes to shoot arrows. It's true. And in case he ever forgets that, he can just look down and see that he has a little pin mm-hmm. that is an arrow. Yeah, well, yeah. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we get into the somewhat difficult category, for me at least, of who was the speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and who was the Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. In this issue, who did you have as your Aqualad? 
Yeah, this was also difficult for me. That there was not really much in the way of like a standout performance from anybody. Yeah. I had to nitpick things to find both my Aqualad and my backup Aqualad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, in this issue, uh, give the shout out to Wonder Girl. Okay. I know you did not like that she told the the grieving Paul to calm down. I found it amusing okay. that she did that. Okay. And so she was like, you know, hey, everybody, we got to get this show on the road and um, get our shit together and go solve this crime. Also, she takes Starfire aside to go destroy the European drug boat. And is, in some ways, I think the architect of the plan of Starfire being able to cut an entire ship in half, which was pretty badass. Okay. And um, and then beats up the bad Euro men. And okay. Sends them to jail. It's going to take things out of order, but I actually had Wonder Girl as my backup for Speedy. I thought you might. Because of her attitude towards Paul. Mm-hmm. When she took Starfire away from the fight, it was with a very cavalier, I think this will be fun for you type thing that is really at odds with like the serious nature of the shit that they're doing and more specifically the reason that i had her as my backup and was very close to having her as my speedy was when raven does the thing where she rips the information out of paul's mind Mm -hmm. so apparently she has telepathy which is not something we have seen her do before Mm. wonder girl has a fucking lariat of truth why didn't she use her fucking lasso and make him tell the truth i think it just all happened so fast Raven's just like, I'm going to facepalm him and suck his mind dry. And Wonder Girl's, but I have this... Oh. Yeah, fine. (laughs) Too late. I'll just tell him to chill out afterwards. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. All right. I had as my Aqualad Cyborg. Because he punched a dude in the dick. (laughs) And then he gave that cool speech about how he was methodically going to punch him in the face across the ocean. These may have been overkill. this may have been he talks about how that he was he almost agreed with the da when he said the da said that that guy deserved to die and that that scared him like maybe hearkening back to his worrying about whether murdering aliens is going to be a gateway drug Mm -hmm. but he punched that dude in the dick so hard that is true and he's got a nice apartment i didn't pick him because specifically of that like nod towards this shit maybe i like killing people yeah i thought that was a little creepy but he didn't kill people i like what he said though when he what he said about almost agreeing with the da that it It would scare him spitless yeah yeah that was hilarious i've never heard that expression before scared spitless yeah i don't think it's a real thing i think it's scared shitless but he is cleaning it up although it did make me think that like oh maybe he should just adjust some of his cyborg valves so that he creates more saliva Hmm. that's probably a thing He's got half a metal face. Mm. Like a trumpet? He can just have a little valve to... Yeah, he's got like a spit valve, like a trumpet. Mm, okay. Yeah. Gross. Maybe he needs to adjust that thing. Yeah. Okay. Get some more saliva going. Yep. Or less. Yeah. Depending or, on or the situation. Eat some milk duds. Yeah, we don't know what they'll do. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> uh, so, who did you have as your speedy? In this one... I picked Raven because I did not like how she extracted the information from Paul's head. I picked Raven also for a myriad of reasons. The way that she is bottling shit up is very unhealthy. I'm certainly, you know, we've talked about being from New England. We're not necessarily in a position to judge that, but it is having a definite negative effect on the team and possibly her dad's going to jump through her body and try to murder everybody again. I wrote that down too. My reasons were mental invasion and not sharing. Also... How is she so fucking naive? 
specifically, how is somebody who is an empath and a telepath naive at all? When she's just like, yes, I had a good talk with Lizzie. She should go home with her parents and everything will be fine. Okay, no. Why would you assume that given that you can read her emotions and you know what she has been through with her dad? And why would you assume that people are just best off with their parents when your dad is fucking Trigon? There are no good answers to those questions. No, which is why she, she just did a bad job. Yeah, specifically, how can you be naive about people when you are a fucking empath who can read people's emotions? I do not know. It doesn't make any sense, but she totally acts like a very naive person in this issue. Yeah, she feels great after she talks to the kid. Lizzie. Yeah, she's like, I did a good job. Mm -hmm. Nope. Nope, you did a bad job. Bad job, Raven. Also, just on a personal note, I'm tired of her Trigon shit. I just kind of don't care. I'm not a big Trigon fan. It was a fine story arc, but I'm tired of this. Oh, I need to keep my powers in check, but I also need to use them all the time. <laughs> my dad is so evil. He's the evilest and he lives in my head sometimes. Mm. I get it. It's got to suck, but I'm tired of it. Oh, well, you're not much of an empath, sir. That is true. That's why I'm not naive. Mm. Huh? Maybe I was being sarcastic. Maybe. There's no yeah. way of knowing. There's no way of knowing whether I was being sarcastic or what sarcasm is. We can't tell. Sarcasm, milk duds, these things are a mystery. My friend's father, who's a very wise man, Mr. Tony Irons, once when I was a child, I said something sarcastic to him and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Corey, sarcasm is the recourse of a weak mind. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, I got zinged so bad. That is a very fun thing to say to a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty good. Is that all? That's every last bit of it. Except... Oh, what put? What put? Indeed. Corey, mm -hmm. in January of 1983, what was Aqualad probably up to? I don't know, but through a series of unfortunate misunderstandings with using internet search engines, I do know that George Washington Carver in 1925 got his 1,500,000 and something thousand two hundred and seventy ninth patent for beauty products. Corey, I don't know if you're aware of this, hmm. but George Washington Carver made the peanut great, showed any man with a mind could create. Oh. It's not a mystery, it's history, and here's how it goes. I listened to that record so many times. Me too. Uh, Run DMC's Raising Hell is maybe my favorite album. I'm not going to say it's the best album, but I love that album so very much. Mm -hmm. Very formative so in my youth. Badass, man. It's so, it's, it sounds so tough. I cut the head off the devil and I throw it at you. Well, your mighty mic control already bought a soul. Exactly. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> no, no. In January of 1983, <laughs> Aqualad, turns out he had... Uh, a little trouble, making ends meet, and actually took a roommate. Oh. Yeah. Who was his roommate? Oh, this guy, Steve. But, like, Steve was really into marijuana. Oh, jeez. And uh, had baked this tray of pot Be better brownies. Better not have Robin over. Oh, I know. <laughs> but, like, he was, like, a, one of those clandestine marijuana guys. Who oh. was, like, always smoking joints all the time, but he's really into edibles. Gotcha. So, Aqualad and Beaky come home from a long day of doing fun ocean stuff going seeing tide pools and doing all this great shit. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, I'm famished. Brownies. Brownies are great. Oh, no. Yeah. And he just goes crazy. And, and he and Beaky both eat all these brownies. 
And, you know, Beaky, we know, has a pretty good constitution. constitution. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, man, <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> but uh, Aqualad is just like, oh, Beaky, you're really freaking out, man. <laughs> like, is, why are my hands feel like this? Like, do people like me? I just, am oh, I dying? Like, oh. he was having one of those really bad times. Yeah. And Beaky's like, okay, go lay on the couch and, like, puts him on the couch and, like, gets an afghan, puts the afghan over him, like, one of those crochet uh-huh, blankets. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, I gotta chill him out, I gotta chill him out. And he goes and he, he flies over to the radio and turns it on. And as luck would have it, the radio is tuned to NPR, which at that point was um, debuting the very first episode of a show called Hearts of Space, which was the very first New Age music program. Ooh. Which, you know, normally would be pretty awful. But in Aqualad's fragile state... I honestly think Aqualad would normally like that, too. It was very soothing to him. Yeah. And I he, think Old Wet n' Wild is pretty down with <laughs> new age music. He drifted off to a peaceful sleep to the soothing sounds of, I don't know, Yanni or whatever is new age music. Well, it turns out that Aqualad could use all of the rest he could get because he had a very busy month. Mm. I don't know if you know this about Aqualad, but... He is a bit of a sports fan, and he had been by Madison Square Garden, and a couple of different sports entertainment events caught his eye. First of all, he watched as Don the Rock Morocco defeated Pedro Morales for the intercontinental title in the WWF. He also watched as Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik to become Mm -hmm. WWF champion for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. These events had quite an impact on Aqualad. He watched them and he was just, he got very, very excited. But he also was just like, why do these guys have to be all huge, muscly guys? As long as the competitors are evenly matched, I, I'm, I, I got these C-strength and limbs. I'm, I'm just a little fella. So he decided to start his own secret underwater wrestling league. Whoa. Which, by the way, was uh, heard of by... <laughs> Men at Work, which is why they penned the song which became a hit that month, uh, The Land Down Under, which was actually about Atlantis. Okay. And all of the great pro re- <laughs> secret pro wrestling that was going on there. But to get people to compete for his first headline main event pro wrestling match, he had a very specific duo in mind that he wanted to see go head to head. And so both of these people needed to put their respective careers on hold. And that is why, in January of 1983, Gary Trudeau decided to stop drawing Doonesbury (laughs) for 20 months (laughs) so that he could train for this underwater Atlantean pro wrestling match, which he would be headlining the main card against Bjorn Borg, (laughs) who retired from tennis that month. I love that guy's name. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Very good. Who do you think would win? Uh, I don't really know. I mean, you, Bjorn, Bjorn Borg is like a professional athlete, he's an athlete, so he has that going for him. But uh, given the environment, I mean, uh, Gary Trudeau spent a lot of time in Walden Puddle. He might do better in an aquatic realm. Walden Puddle? I, it was a storyline in Doonesbury. Oh, okay. I'm just saying it's going to be a hell of a match. Mm. A hell of a match. And it was a secret underwater professional wrestling league and so the details of it didn't really get out i had to do a ton of research to find out what i did about it frankly i had to go in deep undercover and uh, it was uh, pretty hairy um 
But I still wasn't able to find out who won that fateful match Maybe between we'll Gary know. Trudeau and <laughs> Bjorn Borg. Oh, double B. <laughs> I got my money on double B. Yeah. I, I think Gary Trudeau might surprise you. Mm. Anyway, that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Thanks for bearing with us for this difficult episode, listeners. I hope you were able to make it fun. It, it was a very dark episode, and uh, I'm hoping the next one will have a few more moments of levity. We were able to find some, I think, but it was a it was a dark issue. It real honestly, it bummed me out. Bummed me out too. I was kind of not looking forward to recording, but I I had a surprising amount of fun talking with you, Corey, as I always do. I'm happy to be a surprising fun. <laughs> I'm out. Person to talk to. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, we've gotten a few more of those. We're, we've got like 65, 66 reviews right now, so it's great. Thank you. And yeah, the overwhelming majority of them have been very positive. So thank you very much for that. But uh, we could use more and it helps more people find the show and more people listen to it. And, yeah, if you'd like to donate on Patreon, you can hit us up at uh, patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. If you do donate, then it does give you access to our donor-only content. We've only got a few episodes of that up, but one of them is the specific, which we mentioned earlier, the anti-drug issue. We need to hit up the next one of those. There's three anti-drug issues. Which is way less of a bummer than this one. Yeah. Weird. Bad job. Yeah. Nancy Reagan. Well, I mean, I don't think she was trying to specifically not be a bummer with her anti-drug stuff. And the other one was also Nancy Reagan. I'm Wait, standing by my statement. Corey, are you being sarcastic? I don't even know what that word means anymore, thanks to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Me either. Well, thanks for listening, listeners. And Wait, was that sarcasm? <laughs> I don't know. It's been a great time. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy. Uh, enjoy? Enjoy. Enjoy.